Is anything too hard for the Lord? Amen, it isn't, is it? And you know, God has already spoken to us so clear this, this morning about rising up in the faith that God has given us. Hallelujah. Do you know, I want to say that there is no sickness that is too hard for the Lord to heal. There is no cancer that is too hard for the Lord to heal. Amen. There is no financial situation that is too hard for the Lord to solve. Amen. There is no marriage that is too difficult for the Lord to restore. There is nothing that we face in this life, any problem, any sickness, any difficulty, any family situation that is too hard for the Lord to resolve and solve and do a miracle in. Amen. I believe there's people here that you are praying for your family. And at the moment, they seem almost like a million miles from Jesus. And you've talked with them and you've prayed for them and you've prayed for them and you've prayed. I want to encourage you today, rise up in your faith, church, because there is nothing that is too hard for the Lord. And there is no one that is too far away from God to draw and bring back. Saul is a great example of that. He became the Apostle Paul and wrote almost half of the New Testament. And he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I was the chief of sinners, but look what God has made me into now. And that can be your family, your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother. It doesn't matter who it is, your husband, your wife. There is nothing that is too hard for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So three weeks ago, for those that were here, um, we looked at Daniel, Daniel chapter six, didn't we? And we heard how God preserved him miraculously uh, when the leaders under King Darius wanted to annihilate him. They wanted to kill him. They were jealous of him. King Darius was going to promote him over the whole of the kingdom. And the administrators and the satraps and the prefects, they weren't going to have any of that. And so they'd plotted to bring him down and to kill him. But we actually saw how God miraculously rescued Daniel. And in fact, the people that tried to destroy Daniel ended up getting destroyed themselves. And how Daniel then prospered and got promoted by the king. And if you remember, when we spoke from Daniel chapter 1, I said about how the Israelites had been taken into Babylon, into captivity, and these young men were taken. They were young men. The Bible tells us they were good-looking young men. They were very quick. They were intelligent young men. And they were taken into to serve in the palace. And we heard about Daniel, but what we didn't do is hear about Daniel's three friends. So we're going to look at Daniel's three friends today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, when our son Noah was in Sunday school many years ago now, because he's nearly 21, 
They decided that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego was quite a bit of a mouthful for them to learn. So they sort of taught them, my shack, your shack and a bungalow. <laughs> I will do my best not to get the names mixed up today. You know, these young men, they were totally consecrated to God. Isn't that what God's looking for in our lives? Amen. That we are set apart. Yeah. We're called to be a holy people. We're a chosen people, Amen. a royal nation, a people belonging to God. Amen. Amen. And God is looking for his church, particularly in these last days, to be holy and to be set apart and to be righteous and not to allow the things of the world to contaminate us. And Daniel and his three friends, they weren't going to allow things to contaminate them either. So when they were allowed to eat the king's food and the, the royal wine, they said no because it had been offered to idols. So they said, no, test us. Give us only vegetables to drink, um, sorry, vegetables to eat, water to drink. And after 10 days, look at us and see how we compare with the other young men who have had the royal wine and the royal food. And as we know, don't we, they were much healthier. Yes. Amen. They were much healthier after they had had that. So these were men that refused to compromise for an easy life. Now, fast forward to Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon here. And he has dreams. He's a dreamer. And God tells us that he'd given Daniel the ability to interpret dreams. So the king had a dream. So he called in his magicians and he called in his sorcerers and his astrologers. But this is what he said. He said, I've had a dream and I want you to interpret it. But I also want you to tell me what my dream was. So not only do I want you to interpret it, I want you to actually tell me what I dreamt. And he said, if you don't, this is what he said, I'm going to have you cut to pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Well, that was nice. Do you know when the king got angry, the king got angry. So the magicians and the sorcerers, and the enchanters, they were like, oh, oh. I can imagine them getting together. What are we going to do? 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 <laughs> and they went back to the king and they said, oh, king, what you've asked. How can we know your dream? What you've asked is too difficult. Only the gods could interpret this, and they don't live among men. Well, the king, he was furious. So he said, right, that's it. You're all going to be executed. You're glad you didn't live in those days. You're all going to be executed. Now, Daniel and his three friends were not there to hear it, but they got to hear about it. So Daniel, he went into the king he said, King, give me time. I will interpret your dream. That was faith. 
Then he went back to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and he said, guys, you've got to plead for mercy from the Most High God because otherwise it's for all of us. So during the night, God gave Daniel the interpretation. He told him what the king had dreamt in great detail and the interpretation. Now, I'm sure that Daniel, um, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were very grateful (laughs) that God had given Daniel the interpretation. And in fact, in scripture, this is what Daniel said. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. This is chapter 2 of Daniel. He sets up kings and he deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things, doesn't he just? He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and I praise you, O God, of my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So Daniel said to Arioch, now he was the man appointed to execute them all. He said, don't execute the wise men of Babylon. I will go into the king and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. And he did. He did. In great detail. He told him what he dreamt and he told him the meaning of it. You know, God is a God of detail. And I want to tell you, church, Rock Church today, and those listening on Zoom and those listening to this in the future, God is interested in every detail of your life. Believe it, because it's scriptural. He is interested in the smallest detail of your life. Now, what happened next was truly amazing. Because here you have King Nebuchadnezzar, who's about to execute... Daniel and all the others and when Daniel tells him the dream he then lies prostrate before Daniel wow what a change what a change he orders that offerings and incense be presented to him he wants to give him riches and listen carefully to what the king says he says to Daniel surely your God is the God of gods. Oh, hallelujah. We serve the God of all, amen, and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. So the king made Daniel ruler over the entire province of Babylon at this point. And at Daniel's request, he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the promise. So now you've got these four young men consecrated to God who are now all in a position of leadership in Babylon. The king trusted them. He knew that their God was the God of gods and the Lord of us. And it's important that we remember that as we go through this. So let's fast forward to chapter three. 
Now, we don't know the exact dates, but looking roughly at scripture, it looks like approximately 20 years passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Daniel. Now, a lot can happen in 20 years. A lot can happen in 20 years. Right, so if you have your Bibles, we're looking at Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Wow. And he set it up on the plain of Jura in Babylon. So right where these guys were. Now, I don't know about the plain of Jura. It was certainly plain to see. You couldn't miss it. 90 feet high. Wow. Now, for the younger members of our congregation, that's 27 metres high. You into metres, Dom? Yes. But it's in old money, as I say, for us more mature members, it was 90 feet. Now, that did not happen overnight. He must have spent who knows how long planning it and having it built. Now, again, Scripture doesn't tell us whether it was an image of himself or an image of Bel, which was his demon idol and God. But then he summoned all his officials, anybody that was anybody, came to the dedication of this image. The treasurers, the prefect, the governors, the advisors, the judges, the magistrates. And they all came for its dedication. And then a herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do. The king commands everybody to do this. All people, nations and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So he wanted instant obedience here. Instant obedience. I mean, you can just imagine it, can't you, people going about their daily lives, carrying lots. The music starts and it's like, right, quick, down, down, everybody down. Say to the kids, get down, get down on your face on your knees, bow to the ground because the music has started. And again, we don't know how many times a day that music started. But I can well imagine there was such fear and terror and it was like, right, on your face, quick, quick, down, down, get the kids down, on your face quickly. That's how it would have been at that time. Terrifying, really, for the people. You know, worship means devotion and adoration. But this wasn't worship. This was sheer terror. Their lives were on the line. And there was instant retribution 
if they did not obey. And then, moving on to verse 8, some astrologers then came forward and denounced the Jews. Nothing changes, does it? They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree. So it was another decree like King Darius issued with Daniel. O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither must bow down and worship this image. But we want to tell you that there's some Jews whom you have set over the affairs in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They pay no attention to you at all. They don't serve your gods and they don't worship this image. The king was furious. Again, <laughs> he summoned them. He says, is it true? Because bear in mind, these were his leaders. Is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the image I've set up? When Now, when you hear the music, if you do this, Hmm, very good. I can almost hear him saying it, can't you? Very good if you do this. But if you don't, you will immediately, immediately, immediately be thrown into a fiery furnace. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to rescue us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Amen. You know, we read the end of the story. They were living it. So they knew that was it in the natural. They knew God could save them. But at that point, they didn't have any guarantee that God was going to save them or keep them from it. But they one thing they were not prepared to do was compromise on God. Oh, how we need spiritual backbone in these last days, church, not to compromise on God where our faith is concerned. So the king's attitude changed towards them immediately and he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of his strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothing were bound and thrown in. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we thrown in the fire? I mean, his eyes must have been like saucers. It was like, I can just imagine it. 
He's looking. Weren't there three men? And of course, all the advice, oh, yes, oh, king. Oh, yes, oh, king. Yes, there were definitely three. There were definitely three. Yeah, I counted them. There were definitely three. Well, I see four men walking in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So then... He approaches, I'm sure very cautiously, the opening of the blazing furnace. And he shouts out, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out. Come out. Servants of the Most High God. Oh, hallelujah. Servants of the Most High God. Oh, give glory to God. God is so good. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere at once. And there is nothing that is too hard for him. There is all things are possible with God. So they came out the fire. They came out the fire. Oh, listen to this, church. The fire had not harmed their bodies. Not a hair of their head was singed. Their robes were not even scorched. And there was no smell of fire on them. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. Oh, sorry, love. Let me just leave that. Talk about getting a testimony from passing a test. That was quite some test. That was quite some testimony. Do you know these scriptures, they so challenge me, they so inspire me, they so encourage me. This happened roughly 2,600 years ago. But the same God that rescued them is the same God we have been worshipping this morning. The same Jesus who walks in the fire with them is the same Jesus who is here today by his Holy Spirit as we praise him. Amen. 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 Amen, Effie. You know, what can we learn from these three men? What can we learn? They displayed courageous commitment, consistency, and consecration. One of the first things, I believe, is their refusal to compromise in the face of persecution. They knew their lives were on the line. Do you know, they could have said this, well, it's only an image. I will bow down, but on the inside, I'm standing up. Couldn't they? Well, on the inside, I'm standing up, even though my face is to the ground. They knew that that would be compromised, and they were not prepared to do it. Hallelujah, because they were men of God. They were courageously committed to God, and that's what God is calling us. Jesus said this, if you are not for me, you are against me. In these end times, it is getting harder and harder as Christians, isn't it? In the face of growing persecution. Jesus said this in Matthew 24 when he talked about the end times. He said, you'll be hated by all nations because of me. You'll be hated, he says. We've got to get used to that church. Christians all around the world, including here, are coming under increased persecution. Just this last Friday, 
I read that in Pakistan, 25 churches were burnt down and 11 pastors' homes had been partially or completely destroyed. Please pray for a member of the Finnish parliament. She goes on criminal trial this week, this week, church, for openly stating her faith as she publicly expressed her views on marriage and sexuality in line with her religious beliefs. Looking closer to home, Christians are losing their jobs for standing up for righteousness and standing up against sin. A Christian mayoral candidate lost her job at a housing association for expressing her Christian beliefs on marriage in her election manifesto. And a school chaplain, can you believe, was sacked for preaching a Christian sermon in a Christian act of worship in a Christian school and was reported to the terrorist watchdog and blacklisted by the Church of England in a Church of England school for simply telling pupils that they were not compelled to accept an ideology they disagreed with, even though he explained that for Christians, where there is disagreement, it is vital to love your neighbour, leaving no room for personal attack or abusive language towards anyone, and he got fired. The Telegraph said earlier this month, church, Britain is no country for Christians. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they were ready for the fire. Now, why, amen, why did Nebuchadnezzar had the furnace heated seven times hotter? Why? Wasn't it hot enough to kill them anyway? Of course it was. Why did he do that? I believe it was because he was frightened of them. He had seen what had happened, as we read in Daniel 2. They were, they were over, administrators over Babylon. He had said, hadn't he, to Daniel, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. I think he was frightened because he didn't know what was going to happen. He got his best men to tie them up and throw them in the fire. He got his SAS, his Navy SEALs, his best soldiers. What did he think they were going to do? He didn't know. That was the thing, you see. He didn't know what was going to happen. And he lost his best men because they got killed because of the flames. And the other reason I think he was frightened of them is because he sat and watched. Have you thought about that? This fiery furnace must have been used many times. We know that. The fact it was seven times hotter than normal meant that other people had gone in this blazing furnace. And I'm sure he never sat and watched everybody else that got thrown in. Why did he sit and watch? Because he wanted to see what was going to happen. What was going to happen? You see, he'd said to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, What God can save you from my hand? What arrogance. God is the God of God. Hallelujah. You see, God could have kept them from the fire, but he didn't. But the Lord Jesus was right in there with them. And we all go through fiery trials. Every single one of us. We all go through situations. We all go through problems. But I want to say that even in our valley, God is faithful. Amen. We sung today. God is a good God. God is faithful. And God is faithfully working for our good and for his glory. I want to encourage you today, church, if you are going through a fire, keep going. 
No storm lasts forever. I want to encourage you with a couple of scriptures here. Isaiah 41.10. This is what the Lord says. Do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Oh, hallelujah. I know when I was going through a very, very difficult time in my life, and perhaps one day I will share my testimony, because many of you haven't heard it. Some of you know it well. Church, it was enough to get through the day. If I'm honest, I couldn't even think about tomorrow or next week or next month. It was enough to get through the day. Every Sunday, I cried so much. Sundays were the hardest day. But I would go to church and I would worship God and I would stand there. My heart felt like it was in a million bit of pieces and every piece hurt. But I would worship God and he would strengthen me and he would help me and he would get me through and he got me through. Isaiah 43, 1 to 3 says this, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they'll not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. God is with us in the fire, and he's with us in the flood. He doesn't always take us out. Sometimes he does, but he's always in that view. Why? Because we get a testimony from a test. And sometimes it's the making of us when we go through those fiery trials. Look at Joseph. He was in prison for 13 years and he saved a nation. Esther and her maids, as we heard last week, they fasted for three days and three nights. She never knew whether the king would kill her. But she said, if I perish, I perish, but I will go into the king. Amen. You see, God doesn't promise to keep you from trouble, but he does promise to keep you while you're going through the trouble. I'm going to say that once more. God doesn't promise to keep you from trouble. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But he promises to keep you as you go through it. Do you know, God's grace is sufficient for the day. Jesus said in Matthew, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. And if you're suffering because you love Jesus, I want you to take heart from the scripture we're nearly through. This is in 1 Peter 4.12. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. Amen. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You know, Jesus said in Matthew, if people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you, rejoice. Rejoice because grace is your reward in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you know it costs to follow Jesus? It costs to follow Jesus. But I want to say to you, keep going. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Supreme Master. Follow him. 
every day of your life wholeheartedly. Particularly, I'm speaking to the young people here today. I can see you dotted around. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, go for God. Go for God. Do not allow the enemy to sidetrack you, to detour you, to delay you, anything. Be radical. Be persistent. Pursue Jesus. Amen. Pursue knowing him because God has got great things for you, young people. He has got plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But he wants to use you in these last days. Hallelujah. He wants to use you in these last days. Amen. When they came out, Their hair wasn't singed, the robes weren't scorched, there was no smell of fire on them. God keeps us in the midst of trouble. And when we come out of it, we don't have to suffer from the after effects of it. Amen? Because that's what God does. He does a miracle. Now just finally, of course, sometimes people are martyred for the Lord. That's the ultimate promotion anyway. Because we're promoted to glory. In both Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's case and in Daniel's case, all the people then heard about God. Because both kings issued decrees. Both of kings issued decrees. And said that the God of heaven was the God of gods. Both cases. What a testimony that came out of a test. So I want to encourage you, when you're going through it, keep going. No storm lasts forever. But church, God is looking for us to be steadfast, deeply rooted, not compromising, but be sold out for God sold out for God we have one life we need to make it count just like Shadrach Meshach Abednego and Daniel did and as we sung this today one day we will be standing next to them worshipping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords let's pray